my husband grew up totally different in a lot of ways. He grew up going to public school and, um, yeah, just had a really different life than I did. And it's so funny because he'll reminisce about being a child and like how he, oh, it was so fun being a child. I just want to go back to childhood and, you know, the carefree living of high school. And I literally cannot relate to that. I'm like, what do you mean carefree childhood? I would never go back to childhood because it was like one of the most stressful periods of my life was being a kid. And he just can't, there's, it's like a disconnect for him. And so I find now looking back, I'm like, wow, that was not normal. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. You are listening to Don't Be Afraid to Talk podcast with James. If you are listening for the first time, you are welcome. Talking and listening is key for growth, and I hope our stories will bring us together and we can draw inspiration from each other. Conversation will include topics such as mental and physical health, trauma and its effect, suicidal thoughts, recovery, and well-being. We will continue to raise awareness and offer a different perspective, a mindset, or an idea that could inspire you to take charge of your well-being and to grow as a human being. Thank you for joining us today for another episode. Today I'm joined by Erica. Erica is a body partnership coach, a writer, and a personal development nerd. <laughs> and today we're going to be discussing her experience through anorexia. If you're listening today, have an open mind, and we hope that you can learn something from this episode. Erica, how are you? Oh, I'm so well, James. Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to chat with you. Great, great. Can you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. So as you said, I'm a body partnership coach. I live in Portland, Oregon right now with my family. I'm a stepmom and have a baby on the way, uh, my first baby. So yeah, and I... I've always been really interested in health and wellness, but it's been quite a windy road to get to a place where I know how to engage with my body that's actually going to be supportive for not just physically, but for my mental and emotional health as well. So through my own process of figuring that out and um, wishing that I would have had a more consolidated place to go to figure that out, I've created my body partnership coaching and my podcast to help support people and make make it accessible. All the all the stuff I learned on my healing journey um, in one place. Mm, fantastic, fantastic. A lot to uncover today. <laughs> um, mm. Before we get going, we're going to play a quick game called One for One. Uh, Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a word, and you say the first one that comes to your mind. The first word that comes to your mind. So five random words, so no pressure. And um, the first one is fish. Ooh, salmon. <laughs> and routine. Comforting. Curious. The only way to be. I sorry, that's not one word. <laughs> <laughs> um sorry. And baking. <laughs> I would have to say comforting again. <laughs> okay. And the last one is green. Healing. Super. That's it? 
good good game I like that. <laughs> just to throw you <laughs> off <laughs> that's all yeah <laughs> um yeah so thank you for coming on we're just gonna discuss your story so can you just tell us a bit about growing up yeah so i'm the middle of three girls and growing up i have always been a very contemplative person and deep thinker and had a lot of questions and there was a lot of a lot of things that were in my family dynamic and environment that were unsettling and I didn't quite understand what was going on as a kid you don't really know everything that's happening or don't understand it fully and so my way of coping with uh not only stress of a chaotic home environment, um, but also just the unknown of not knowing what was going to happen because of the chaos. Um, I had a lot of fear and anxiety. And so my way of, as I said, coping with that was really to turn, turning to restricting food, over-exercising, obsession over health and wellness. Just really, I, I see it now as a place to get my mind to go that felt safer than thinking about what what's going to happen to my family. Are we, you know, is everything going to fall apart? Life as I know it, that sort of thing. And unfortunately, because I wasn't um, around adults who had healthy stress management skills or emotional regulation tools, um, you know, they my parents couldn't give me what they didn't have as far as how to work through big emotions and feelings in a healthy, productive way. And so um, that was really the only mode I had um, early on. Mm. And so I look back with so much compassion on that child who was trying to do the best with what they had to survive an emotionally really intense climate in my home. Um, But now, and part of the healing process is to go back to that inner child um, and remind them and comfort them and and let them know that there's other tools available now. Like you don't have to, hmm. you don't have to just survive. Um, you don't have to go to, you know, coping mechanisms that are going to be actually destructive for you. There's a whole wealth of resources that are super nourishing and healing that you can turn to when you're stressed or feeling anxious. Um, or, you know, obviously in the last two years, there's been a lot of unknowns for everybody. And so that's, you know, it's been really neat for me to see that the way that I do, am able to deal with that now because of the tools I have is so much different than when I was a, was a kid. And so, um, yeah, that's a mm. little bit about my background. And how was the relationship with your, with your mother? With my mom. So in my family dynamic, my dad was very, very hands-off and emotionally withdrawn from the whole family unit. And so my mom was everything. Um, she also homeschooled my sisters and I. And so uh, we were with her all the time. And she, you know, kind of taught us everything we knew about the world and was our support system and our teacher, our support system, our mom, you know, everything. <laughs> so... I think that at the time it was so important that I saw her in a certain light that um, that now as I've grown up, I've realized that, you know, there are things on, on both sides for my parents um, that maybe weren't the best or weren't the healthiest um, for me. I know they were, of course, they loved me so much and were doing the best they could, but it's been interesting to unpack that because when I was a kid, I would have thought like, my mom and I have this great relationship, you know, and, um, 
you know, cause she was everything and I needed her. Um, mm. but I do think there were some challenges mainly just in that, uh, there wasn't, you know, she wasn't able to give me a lot of those tools to work through what I was going through because she didn't have them. And she was in a really stressful relationship herself with my dad. And so, um, I just think there was, she couldn't offer a lot of emotional support either because she had a lot going on for herself. So I can, yeah. Yeah. At, at the time as a child, like looking back on it now, you can see the, the pattern in adults. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But as a child for you, was everything just normal or do you ever feel like something's not right here? I think there was a little bit like of, the, Oh, go ahead. Like, did you think that, do you think like, Oh, childhood is great. No. So that is what's so fascinating. So once I got married at age 24, um, my husband grew up totally different in a lot of ways. He grew up going to public school and, um, yeah, just had a really different life than I did. And it's so funny because he'll reminisce about being a child and like how he, oh, it was so fun being a child. I just want to go back to childhood and, you know, the carefree <laughs> living of high school. And I literally cannot relate to that. I'm like, what do you mean carefree childhood? I would never go back to childhood because it was like one of the most stressful periods of my life was being a kid <laughs> and he just can't, there's, it's like a disconnect for him. And so I find now looking back, I'm like, wow, that was not normal. I think at times as a kid, I, you know, maybe I'd go to a friend's house and it was so weird to see like their parents interacting in a healthy way or whatever. Um, but I also thought a lot of what went on in our house was normal. I thought it was, you know, the, a lot of the things that we experienced, like maybe this is just how every family is, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. 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 You, like, yeah. As a kid, you never think like, oh, what's my friend doing? You just think this is, this is what it is. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, when you say, when we talk about dysfunction, we're talking about just emotional or just emotional and physical as well. So in, in my household, I would say definitely like emotional abuse um, and emotional neglect for sure was going on as well as just um, this constant, well, I guess that fits under the emotional abuse category. My parents mm. were always, you know, one or the other, you know, we're going to divorce or leave each other, but it would never happen. And we would overhear constant fighting. Our parents would sleep in separate rooms. Um, my mom would leave the house after a fight. And as a little kid, that was what was so confusing. It's like our, our mom is our only kind of like home base. And then when a fight would happen, she would leave. And so we're here then with our dad, who we didn't have really any relationship with and didn't really feel super safe with. And so that was, as a kid looking back to, I was like, that was really actually upsetting to me. It's like our only person now is gone. You know, like she don't, she, she <laughs> yeah. always come back, but as a kid, you don't know how long are they going to be gone? Will they come back? You know? So it was just very chaotic. Mm. Yeah. 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 That is. And when you, your, your eating disorder, when did that develop? Around what age? So that really came into full force uh, at age 14. And that is when I started watching The Biggest Loser. It was kind of around that time. And we had also been planning a family vacation to Hawaii. And so kind of an I think those two things were the perfect storm of like trying to feel, I wanted to feel pretty in a swimsuit and was like really worried about how I looked. Um, but also now I'm more aware of there was a lack of education 
an empowerment around the transition from girlhood to womanhood and around understanding the menstrual cycle for women and things like that. It was a very shameful thing. Anything related to sex Mm. was super shameful because I grew up in a very conservative, strict religious community as well. And so that made me really afraid of becoming a woman because in my mind, being sexual was bad and dirty and gross. And so like, I didn't want to become a woman that maybe guys would look at me because then that would mean something's Mm. wrong with me. According to like Mm. my religious culture. Yes, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I also think that my subconsciously, the eating disorder came on at the time where I was starting to transition into womanhood and I wanted to shut it down because I thought it wasn't safe, like, and I would be shameful. And so, and as a byproduct, especially with anorexia, often you lose your menstrual cycle and it totally disrupts like the normal hormonal progression that happens for girls. And that was the case for me. So I then kind of operated in this very masculine mode because the eating disorder kind of shut all of that down, which felt safer for me because of, because of the culture I was growing up in as well. And was that, so that was your, not escape, but that was your way of controlling your environment. Yeah. And but so much of the eating disorder in all kind of ways was about control, just like trying to grasp for a sense of control in some area of my life. And that was a very tangible one um, for me to grab a hold of. Mm. And when you, like for someone that's going through anorexia, you often hear the expression like, why, why don't you just eat food? Oh my goodness. Yeah. And the funny yeah. thing is, you know, professionals would ask me that. I mean, people who do this for a living, the nutritionists, the dietitians, and I'm like, shouldn't, shouldn't you know, that's not an easy question <laughs> to answer. Like if I knew I'd fix it, I don't know. You know, I always knew it, it had to be more than food because I also loved cooking. So it was this weird dichotomy of like, I've always oh. as a little kid. I mean, I was making food for the family at a very young age. I loved cooking. And then all of a sudden, such such a dysfunctional relationship with food when I had my eating disorder. Um, so it was very, it was like, I know I love food. I don't think I'm actually afraid of food. But yeah, it was it was so funny when people would ask me that. I was like, you tell me, you tell me what's going on. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're the professional. Especially when you love cooking as well. And like you're making the meals, but you don't really want to eat. And did anyone yes. in your family ever notice this? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, especially my mom. Um, she's really the only one who would say anything to me about it. I know that my sisters and my dad maybe noticed, but um, she eventually, so it was like May that um, that year I was 14 um, and we went to Hawaii. It was three months later that I had dropped so much weight that my mom started to get alarmed and she took me into therapy and medical intervention and all of that. And so she definitely noticed that, you know, I'd go from eating a regular meal to half that, to a fourth that, to a crumb. And I didn't even (laughs) notice it, but she was like, okay, wait a minute. Something is not right here. Yeah. So you didn't notice what you're doing? No, not at first. when your meals were reduced? No, No? not at all. Mm -mm. Which is so weird, but no, I didn't. Yeah, I'm just trying to think. Okay. And was was actually really defensive. Yeah, I was really defensive when my mom pointed it out, too. I was like, no, no, I'm not. Like, I'm not doing that because I just couldn't see it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't a conscious decision you're making. It's like, I'm not going to eat today. Oh, I I just have a small portion. You were just doing a behavior, but you didn't know why you're doing it. 
or you weren't aware that you were doing it? Yeah. I mean, if you think about when you're really hungry and how hard it is to think clearly and stuff, mm, yeah. the anorexia is that you're constantly malnourished. Like literally your brain does not work correctly. Mm. And so in your body's in constant fight or flight when you lack nourishment and so and nutrients and things like that and so i i could not think clearly about what was going on um so some of it was conscious uh but there was a lot of it too that i i kind of felt like i was it was an out of body experience like i am doing this and i am not eating and i am making myself go hungry but I don't even know why. And I feel like powerless to change it. Cause couldn't I just go eat food? Like I could in theory, but I wouldn't let myself for whatever reason. So it was just a very, yeah, it was a very out of body kind of experience. Yeah. So like the questions might sound simple, but I'm just trying to understand it for myself because like that, when you, mm-hmm. when you hit anorexia, perception is why don't you just eat? <laughs> that is what, people would think but there's a, there's a link between the person obviously wants to eat but like you said you wanted to eat but you also didn't want to eat yes <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, during that time how was school for you was it still i'm guessing there was a lot of change in school as well if you're going through like something like this yeah i mean as far as school goes because i was homeschooled i really yeah i really didn't probably experience what, what girls would maybe if they were in public school at this time. Um, I think in a lot of ways it, that actually was a, a positive about being homeschooled because it was such, mm. I, I mean, it would have really disrupted. I was out several days a week at appointments um, and things like that, you know, at the beginning when my mom first kind of intervened. And so that would have really disrupted a normal public school schedule. So I think that worked in my benefit that I didn't actually fall behind in school or you anything went. like that because I could do it whenever. I mean, I would bring my school books to the waiting room and do it before therapy or whatever. So I think that turned out to be okay. Yeah. 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 And when, when your mother first took talking to the doctor, sorry. And how was that? Like, how's, how was that experience? I was very resistant because it's like, you're going to take away my, life jacket like what I see is my life jacket to survive my childhood experience and not and not give me anything (laughs) else like you're just saying you need to start eating or we're going to hospitalize you and put you on a feeding tube and that's terrifying you know so um Mm. yeah it was there was not a lot of resources at the time in the area I lived about eating disorders or there was no treatment centers like an inpatient treatment center whatsoever Um, And we looked at sending me to one out of state, but we ended up not that sort of thing. But yeah, it it was, I was very resistant to it. I wanted all, I wanted the attention off of me because I didn't like everyone all of a sudden really worried about me. Um, But at the same time, I was like, okay, I'll play along to a degree, but I really, I, I really don't see, I guess I just I, I really didn't see what the alternative was going to be to feeling safe. You know, I was like, this is how I feel safe in the world is controlling this. Yeah. And you're not giving me a solution. You're just telling me I have to stop. So then what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> and did you, so I'm going to go back to that question. And did you feel like if you were to gain weight or whatever, you would lose control? Yeah. I felt so out of control to gain weight for sure. 
And yet everybody wanted me to. That was the other weird thing is that's the only thing they were marking. Like that was my measure of getting better. But like we know now, and this is a mental health podcast, like there is a whole nother (laughs) side to be explored when it comes to a behavior like, you know, anorexia. So it was just so weird to me that everyone just wanted me to see a bigger, uh, you know, larger number on the scale and think, oh, that means she's better. But I knew inside, like, no, I still feel like my world's, you know, undone. So, yeah. Something, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so when you went to the doctor, you think they were more focused on, okay, how can we put you into a health plan to get you eating right so you can gain your weight back instead of... Yeah. Was that the approach? Yeah, and the weird thing about that was there was not a lot of awareness around nutrition either. And so, like, the suggestions was, like, eat more Mm. junk food. You'll gain weight. And I was like... I've always wanted to care for my body in a, in a healthy way. Um, even before the eating disorder, I was the girl who would order salad at every restaurant, you know? And so it was just, it was very confusing to me because I'm like, I thought these foods are not good for you, but now you're telling me I need to eat them. Uh, so that was also really confusing for me. It, it didn't feel mm, right. Mm, I think, no, because when you, sorry, another stereotypical viewpoint that when someone wants to gain weight it's like just eat all the junk right. food you put it on quicker yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is which is not ideal for anyone so w- one of the things you mentioned as well is becoming addicted to exercise how did I come about <laughs> well I figured out like I <laughs> I could first of all I felt good I mean there was like the chemical changes and stuff that happened after a good workout and you feel a little high from that so I think mm, there was a do, appeal yeah with that. Um, but then also, you know, I mean, honestly, at the beginning too, it was like, I can lose weight faster. And I felt like I was in control the smaller I got. Like, I mean, I felt like things were spiraling out of control because I was shocked at how fast I was dropping weight. But at the same time, I felt like that showed that I was controlling something well. Um, and so that gave me some sense of safety. So I think that there was, Mm. There was a, a kind of a collaboration with that. I also was not sleeping. I stopped sleeping um, during this time because my body just, I mean, a doctor later explained to me that my body was just trying to stay alive. So things like sleep were extra. It couldn't send resources to let me like actually sleep. Um, but I would get up like in the middle of the night for mo- for a lot of people, like at 3.30 or whatever and work out for like a couple Jeez. hours. Cause like, what else am I going to do, you know, at that time of day? So yeah, that's kind of how that piece looked as well. Yeah, and would you obviously after you walked out, you had something to eat, right? Because <laughs> it's yeah, I I would. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like, well, at what point of the eating disorder that looked really different, probably. But yeah, mm. I did. I mean, I had to have eaten something, <laughs> so I don't yeah, remember exactly. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> and when you started going to therapy, your relationship with a therapist. Was anyone trying to figure out what's going on behind the condition? Yeah, it's a good question. I I would like to say yes, but I would I feel like my experience of therapy was a lot more of solving the food problem, solving the um, the workout addiction, that sort of thing. But I remember, I do remember some specific times where I was 
breakdown, you know, crying and counseling, being like, what I'm really afraid of is that my parents are going to get divorced and what will happen to me and my sisters. And like, I did voice that. I don't remember exploring that at all. Like, I don't remember the therapist asking me questions or anything about that. But I do remember trying to reach out and be like, there's more going on here. Like, I think this is really about my family, maybe. But I don't remember people really asking questions or digging into that as far as like the therapist. Yeah, because... Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because obviously I'm guessing the therapist was trying to understand what you're doing instead of what's happening behind what you're doing. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So my next question is... <laughs> sorry, So I'm just trying to understand this anorexist thing because I haven't a clue about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. When you're underweight, did you, like for yourself, did you feel that you're overweight? Yeah. So kind of like the body dysmorphia sort of thing. I, okay. yeah, to a degree, I don't think as extreme, I remember this exercise, my nutritionist of like would have all these like outlines, figures of bodies, and she would make me point to which one I think I am to see like, if I had an accurate view of myself. Um, (laughs) So it was really interesting, but I think to a degree, I did have some of that going on. Um, but it's, yeah, it's hard to know from the inside. Like I'm so close to it to know exactly. But I do remember there was a point where I started to drop so much weight that I, I actually got scared. Like I could see through my skin, it became translucent and I was so cold all the time, like shaking, shivering, um, where I was like, okay, maybe this is too much, but I didn't know how to stop it either. You know? So it's like, I, I don't know. I think I had to a point I probably had some body dysmorphia, but then I did reach a point where I was like, I actually think I I look sick now. Like, I don't look well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. I was like, this is getting a bit too far now. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And throughout this period, when you're going through the condition, how was, did your relationship with your father change at all? No? No. So that. Did Did it ever, did it ever like, trying to show interest or is it still a distance? No, I mean, that was, that was really difficult for me. Um, he never once mentioned it, asked me, like never once until I was like in my twenties, he like brought it up one time. Oh. I mean, it was so amazing to me. I was like, <laughs> I do not know how you are just totally hiding from this. So that was, yeah, it's like, that was so hard. It was happening for so long. <laughs> yeah. And I, I did, it's like, to me, it felt like kind of a near-death experience. And my dad couldn't even bother to say, are you okay? Like, that was so mind-blowing to me. And I just know he didn't know how to approach it. And it was probably just overwhelming to him. But I do, there was definitely stuff to work through in my adulthood about, like, why didn't he say anything? Yeah. It was very, very weird to me as a kid. Like, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. And did he ever say to you why he never said anything? Or he just... No. He didn't know what to say. No, he never, he's never said okay. that. He like, yeah, it was just one time in passing in my early twenties where he like brought it up. Um, but I still never know exactly to this day. I guess I could ask him, but why he never said a word. Yeah, that's strange. Well, for him, it's probably not strange because obviously his upbringing yeah. is different as well. So. Oh, very different. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And when did things start change for you from this? Like, when did you realize like, okay, I need to take on a different path here. Yeah, I think it came in a lot, it came over a long period of time and a lot of different phases, the healing process. But 
I do remember when I was 18, I went to counseling for the first time on my own volition. Like I chose the counselor. I drove myself, you know, and I was, <laughs> I was invested in it. And I was getting ready to go to like uh, a three month program out of state. And my motivation was that I didn't want to, my experience of that program to be hindered or in any way by this eating disorder. And so I really wanted to get to a better place in order to really enjoy and be present for that. And so that was kind of my motivation. Mm. And um, that was really helpful. But then when I moved actually out of state full time um, in my early 20s, when I moved to Portland, I again, my parents actually got divorced um, in my early 20s. They finally did. So um, at that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, crazy. And that was yeah, it, that was its own kind of craziness that happened around that. But at that time, I went back to counseling just because I could kind of feel myself spiraling. And I was like, there's got to be a different way to deal with anxiety. Like, I am so done with an eating disorder being my only way to cope. And so I think that's when I really started to build up my tools and my my emotional mm. regulation um, tools and feel like I could be really well-resourced in whatever comes my way and not have to use the eating disorder anymore. And I really think since then I, I really haven't. Um, Cause mm. I felt like I've had other, other much better strategies for coping. <laughs> yeah. And when you started on that journey, what were some of the things you did for us? Because if, if you're not aware of it, you would not even want to start. So <laughs> some of the things I did first to heal. Yeah. Yeah, so I was really involved in my, in I had a really involved community when I moved to Portland and I honestly think that when you're going through a healing process, it is so important not to isolate yourself and that can be easy to do because on the one hand you feel like I'm a mess. Like who's going to want to be around me sort of thing. But then you also, I mean, it is not only healing to know that people still love you, even though you're figuring it out and you're in process. So that's really healing, but then also to be invested and engaged in other people's worlds and to realize like there's more going on out here and more I can be a part of than just like my storm of stuff. It's almost like a break to be able to be in other people's stuff, you know, um, a break from your yeah, own life. Yeah. So I feel like <laughs> that was so supportive. And some of the, I just, I mean, there's really significant healing moments that stand out to me, just things people would say that they didn't even know, like, were exactly what I needed to hear in those moments. But that was probably one of the biggest things for me at first. Um, and then I've always been, as, as you read, like I've always been a personal development nerd. So I really threw myself into podcasts and books and anything I could get my hands on to specifically around anxiety at first, because I, there was a really strong link, um, between when I would feel like this, a panic attack coming on my kind of default for so long had been to manipulate food to kind of quelch that, um, and so I was like, okay, I've got to figure out some other ways. I've always loved movement as well. So I was a runner for a really long time. So that would be really helpful for me to just go for a run. Um, but then also more recently in the last several years, I've gotten into meditation and tapping uh, and yoga and some more gentler practices. So it's not, 
So it doesn't get tangled up in, again, with like the whole exercise addiction thing either. Um, Because like if you're doing yoga, Mm -hmm. you're not, you know, that's, it's hard to really make that about body image. You know, it's like, yeah, it's really (laughs) soothing. It's really about calming your nervous system. And I think that is the key. And what I, you know, now want to teach my my child from a very young age is how do you regulate your nervous system um, when you start to feel those intense emotions coming on? And some of the things that I mentioned, you know, just a minute ago have been really mm-hmm. helpful and realizing when something comes up, like you immediately can go into an emotional regulation tool and feel better within a couple minutes. You know, you don't have to let it be your whole day or your whole week sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think if children start learning about emotional regulation, oh, the world would be such a better place in the future. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like most of us, well, for me anyway, I still don't know how to. Yeah. And um, what was one of your biggest challenge? In something in a specific area or in healing? In terms of when you... Yeah, in healing, yeah. When you started to, when you wanted to heal from this, what was your biggest challenge? Like, what do you find that you just couldn't get over? (sighs) Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. Um, Mm -hmm. Honestly, one of the biggest hurdles was when it comes to eating disorders, there's kind of, there's a gen, a mainstream recovery camp that kind of like, AA, kind of like alcoholism, where they tell you once an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. And you you can't ever totally get out from underneath that identity. Yeah. And I think for a long time, it felt so out of reach, the thought that like I could go throughout my day eating um, and not once think about having, to, you know, because I was very controlled, you know, ate a very con- in a controlled way with an eating disorder. So I'd be measuring, measuring my food and counting out the almonds and calculating the calories yeah. and like exhausting just to eat a meal. And I mean, now where I'm at now, I never could have fathomed that that was even possible to literally not care, not do that, and to be able to eat according to hunger and fullness. I totally had no hunger and fullness signals. You totally squash them when you're, you know, in the throes of an eating disorder. Um, so learning how to hear them again, I mean, it just feels like it's so weird. It's like, this must be what it feels like to be a normal person with food. <laughs> like I, and I never thought that was within my reach. I would ask counselors, like, is it possible to fully get over, <laughs> like get through this and get to the other side? Is there another side or I'm just doomed to always have a complicated relationship with food. And mm. I got mixed answers on that, but now I can say for sure I know that it's a hundred percent possible to go throughout your day and not once ever think about the calorie in the food or anything like that. Um, and to be able to stop when you're full and eat when you're <laughs> yeah. hungry and not, cause I ate very much on a schedule as well. Like I could only eat at these times in the day. Um, it's just so much more fluid now. And I didn't think that was within reach. So that was one of the biggest hurdles is mm. really believing that it was possible for me. Um, to be totally free. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And when you talk about counting food, um, like what were some of the things that you did? (laughs) Oh my goodness. So, (laughs) I mean, I don't know how much of this is helpful or not, but I mean, it it just felt, yeah, it felt really crazy, kind of crazy of like, I mean, I just remember 
I would count out, say it's crackers or whatever. I would count out how many crackers and then like how many calories is that? And I was like, I didn't want that many calories. I'd like break a cracker in half and put it back in the box. Cause like a half a cracker is really going to make a difference. Like a huge difference. I mean, just crazy stuff like that. Um, which makes no sense to me now, but in my brain, it, it felt like it totally made sense at the time. So yeah. <laughs> at a time. Yeah. 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 Now it's like half a crack. It's not gonna. <laughs> no, it sounds so silly now. <laughs> yeah, but I suppose when when it's happening to you at that moment, it makes sense in your head. Yeah. It's only when you when you're outside that you yeah. when you're looking in, you're like, "What is that person doing?" And it's doing? like, "Oh my goodness, I have so yeah. much compassion for that little girl who thought a half a cracker was gonna help her stay like feel safe. Like it was that." powerful to her that like I need to only have a half more because then everything will be in control I mean that's just like mind-blowing to me so Mm. and um, from listening to your podcast I think one of the things you spoke about is when you're doing when you're working on yourself and you had a belief of betrayal from your mother when you're doing your inner work inner child work when you say betrayal, as in, did you feel like if you did the work, you would betray her or? Yeah. So that's, that's kind of, it's, that's a whole nother area. I, re- I remember that episode you're talking about and how sometimes yeah. we say we want to get well and whatever that means for you, but subconsciously there's actually a benefit to staying sick that we're not looking at. And so I think for myself, there was this almost habit or addiction. I've heard people refer to it as an addiction to struggling and to suffering and to things being hard all the time. And part of that came from my religion because there was like a glorification of struggling and like you were a more holy person if you were suffering. Um, And then part of it was like, just like my mom very much, it was, kind of this martyr thing, because in some ways, the way that I see it, of course, you know, we all have our own views of this in the family, but it was very much respected by our like religious community that she was staying in an unhealthy relationship and trying to save it because that was the good like thing to do as a a woman in our community. And so um, because of that, then she And not only that, but she stayed home and raised us. And like, she even says now, like, I stayed for so many years because I was sacrificing for you guys, like for you kids. And so it's like, oh, it's our fault. Like you stayed and and suffered so long. That makes me feel great. Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, When all of us (laughs) behind closed doors, all of us sisters just wanted like it to end because we were all so, you know, in so much misery. So I was like... Mm. We didn't want that. We didn't want you to stay and suffer for eight, you know, for that many years for us. Like, so anyways, I think for myself, I had to get to this place where I could accept that my life could be meaningful and I, I could be a person that created, you know, beauty in the world without the suffering. Like it didn't make me better in any way. And just because my mom Mm. chose that does not mean that I have to choose that. And I think you can be, powerful um woman that you know creates influence and change in the world that makes the world a better place without suffering like that's not required and i think because 
because I grew up so religious and and mainly my mom, my dad didn't even attend church hardly ever. Um, but <laughs> my mom did. Yeah, he really wasn't that much. Um, so I think in that ways too, it almost felt like I was betraying my religion and my mom was such a huge part of my religious upbringing that it, it kind of felt like they were so intertwined as well. Mm. Because a lot of, there's been a lot of layers to this, but I have had to come to terms with that. I definitely had religious trauma in my background as well. And I think mm. that played a role and like definitely in my eating disorder, um, mainly like how I felt about being a woman and things like that. So that's another way that I'm like um, branching off from kind of my mom's worldview and having to come to terms with this is what feels healthy for me, though, even if, you know, she's she doesn't approve of it. <laughs> so, like, or whatever. Yeah. so, yeah, that's that's kind of what I was referring to. I don't know if that's way more than you wanted, but yeah. That's what I was getting from listening to that as well, because there would be, depending on your background, if you like that, especially with religion, Jesus Christ, <laughs> then if you do this kind of inner child work, there's a lot of uh, this walk around freeing yourself. And when you come from that background, you almost feel like if you free yourself, you're detaching from that. And I think that's what people some people might just don't do the work and want to stay there because like that identity is what you've had for so long. And uh, it could be scary for some, <laughs> or you could feel betrayed. You could feel like yeah. what you felt, you felt like you're betraying us. So you're like, okay, this is too hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I'm to be honest, even in my adulthood, I would have conversations with my mom where she'd almost express that. Like she felt like, I raised you different. Like, what's yeah. <laughs> I like, so I mean, yeah. yeah. So those are like actual conversations. Yeah, it's like, Erica, what happened to like, you? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Just being able to stand mm. on my own two feet and be like, no, but this feels right for me. And I need to, I need to live in integrity with myself first and foremost. Like that's. Important. Yeah. Yeah. I think for parents, they don't, they don't quite understand that when you, when one is branching out, you're like, oh, what happened? What, <laughs> what went wrong here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And uh, your own business, what you do, what is body partnership? What's that about? Yeah, so that was born out of, for a long time, I saw myself as broken, you know, the eating disorder, and um, I needed to somehow fix my body. Um, and also when you have been sick, and I say that kind of like in quotation marks for so long, I mean, it was like mm. over a decade before I really felt on a regular basis that I wasn't drowning in this eating disorder all the time. And so I was so used to feeling and being sick all the time that I just assumed like, I guess, I guess my body just doesn't really work right. Like I can't sleep. I guess my body just isn't good at sleeping. I guess, um, with like my hormones being so out of whack, um, there were like all these, I can't even remember all these weird symptoms, but I just thought this must be who I am. Um, and my body just must mm. be defective. You know, this is like, it just doesn't sleep, I guess. It's like, and it was like, I'm just yeah, broken. I'm just broken. I'm just broken. <laughs> exactly. And I really learned it through my reading and just like a lot of deep dive study, um, that, wait a minute, like if you create an environment where your body feels safe to heal, it can actually heal itself. Like it's designed to heal itself. 
And so many, so many of the habits and the lifestyle things that I was doing were not conducive to say like a restful night's sleep. I mean, I was on blue light all the time. I would take, you know, phone. I was very codependent in relationships too. And so I really overextended myself all the time, bending over backwards for people where there was like only take and no give. Um, And so like the way (laughs) I was living my body couldn't heal even if it wanted to, you know? So it's like, okay. (laughs) So it's not actually that my body's broken. It's that I'm living in a way where it literally can't catch its breath to heal the way it's, it's designed to. Um, and so I remember the first time I actually went to a naturopathic doctor a couple of years ago. Um, and he was the first one ever. I came with digestive, massive, like severe digestive issues And he like listened to my story and kind of nodded and then was like, are you, are you like blocking out certain emotions and not willing to like look at them? Are there emotions you've like, he used the phrase like locked up in this dark basement that you're not letting out. And I was like, who do you think you are? Like, I'm coming here because I can't eat because my, my stomach hurts so bad or whatever. Um, and so that's and you're talking about emotions. And you're asking yeah. about emotions. That are those. Yeah. And so that's where I realized, like, oh, okay. So, like, what's happening in my digestive tract is a result of my body literally not feeling safe because I am living such a stressed out, overcommitted, run, burn myself to the ground kind of life. Um, and so once I started to really pull back and focus on like nourishing myself before I turn outward and like help everybody else. Um, I was like, Oh, my body can sleep actually. Like it's not broken. It needs me to partner with it to create an environment where it can do what it was made to do. And so that's where I developed body partnership and impassioned about helping people look at their life and see like, what, what areas of my life am I operating in a way that my body actually can't do the healing I want because it's just, it can't take, catch its breath. It can't breathe because I'm just running in overdrive all the time or overcommitted or have no boundaries. Um, give, give, give. That sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. That, that drains you. You don't even notice it. But you, I think you do it, especially depending on your background, you do it because you're a nice person, even though it's nice to be nice, but it's also draining you. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So your body, yeah, so your body will struggle. Yeah. I mean, one of the greatest gifts you can give to people is your health. Like, is you showing up in your healthiest, most vibrant self, not just at all costs, help people, but like do it from a place of health and vitality and overflow. And the help you can give is so much better. Like, it's just so much better quality because it's, it's actually the fully firing you, not the drained, depleted Mm. you. So it took me so long to learn that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm guessing that was difficult as well. Like you mentioned when you went to the doctor and he started talking about emotions. Like, did you, from that conversation with him, did you take away like, okay, there's more to this then. I need to start looking into like what's going on with my emotions so I can come up with a balance. Yeah, I mean, I think that piece for a lot of people is a lot scarier because it, in some ways it's so much easier for them to prescribe you a supplement and say, you know, all your problems will be gone if you just take yeah. this. Take this for a month and you'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> but when you say like, oh, wow, like you, you have childhood trauma or you have, 
you know, deep emotional wounding that you haven't looked at, I mean, that is like, oh no, like, I just wanted you to give me a pill and be on my way, you know? So I think- I was like, oh, I'll take that bottle, please. (laughs) Don't open that door. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that everybody is going to come to a point of readiness to look deeper in their own time Mm. when they feel like they have the support around them to do that. And they're in a safe, safer place to do that. I couldn't do that when I was younger because I still lived in that home. And like, what am I going to do? Like, so that I now see that I was in a much better place to deal with all that deep stuff. Once I was much, Mm. much older and further along and more like set, I was um, further away from my family in that experience in childhood. So, but I do see that a lot for people that they want it to be some easy food protocol or supplement that just fixes all their problems. And it's like, "Eh, okay, but there's probably a reason your body is not functioning how it's supposed to, that goes way deeper than that. So Mm. yeah. 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 That's the door, the hole that no one wants to. (laughs) Suppose it comes to you, it comes to you when you're ready for it. You know, if you, if yeah, if you're not ready for it, you just go for the quick fix. Yeah. And then, when you take enough and realize that this doesn't work, <laughs> then you yeah. you go back. Yeah. And uh, what sort of advice would you give someone who's had challenge with like anorexia, especially females? Because I'm guessing there's a lot more happening in the female body than it would be on a male body. Yeah, and of course, since I'm a woman, like I can only speak from my experience. Yeah. Um. So not- I'm just guessing that as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It probably looks so different so we, for, for men. Um, not that they don't experience it, but I'm sure it's it's different. So number one piece of advice. Well, I would say first, like, because I didn't hear people say this enough, that there is, there is another side. There is not a just, I'm going to mm. live with this. Like, unless you, like, if you really, truly don't want to live with it for the rest of your life, that is available to you. A hundred percent. Like, it is not you don't have to just sign on to like, this is my problem now forever. You know, like, (laughs) no, there is, this is me. Yeah. It's so interesting. People project these things onto you. I mean, even with my pregnancy, I had heard and read and so many people had said, like, if you have a eating disorder history, you're going to struggle when you get pregnant and your body's changing. I have not struggled once with that. Like I love my body changing. Like it doesn't bother me, which is so like, not what everyone said was going to happen, but it just goes to show that like you can get to a place of, of body partnership and love and like just living, like feeling at ease with your body, regardless of how deep like you were in the eating disorder. Like it doesn't determine how far healing you can go, like how, how healed you can be. There is no, like, I'm too far. I'm too far that I can't ever have a life that's like free of this. So. Yeah, totally. There's never, no matter how deep you are into something, there's always a way. Well, it's easy for me to say now because I'm not (laughs) in anything, but uh, there's always a way out. Yeah. And I guess the other thing that I would add, because I I know I had moments where I felt like I, I wouldn't be able to survive the healing process. Like it would be too much. Like you can't, like you are so much like more resilient than you think you are. And I mean, even as different things have popped up with the childhood trauma stuff, it feels at at first like, oh my gosh, I won't be able to survive if I look into this. If I dive deep into this, you know, I'm not going to make it out. It's like (laughs) you, you you will, you will. 
just take it one step at a time and like one layer at a time. You don't have to do it all at once. Just like your body's wise and directs you kind of what layer to peel back when it's safe and ready. And so just like follow that and don't worry about, will I be able to handle the next, the next thing? Mm, just do what you need to do when you're doing it. And then, sorry, just three more questions. <laughs> What's one thing you're proud of? Related to everything we're talking about or, or anything. Okay. Yeah. Like just, just, just for yourself, like what's one thing you can look back and be like, hmm. I'm proud of that. <laughs> yeah. No, you ask great questions. Um, <laughs> I actually am really proud of like not have given up on myself and not ever resigning or bought into the, this is just my mm. life. This is just the way it's going to be. Um, because and I mean, even now, maybe it's not, you know, it's not the eating disorder, but there are other areas in my life that I, I see room for growth in and transformation. And mm. I've just always had that desire and that like knowing that like things can get better if I'm willing to do the work and um, really show up for myself, like they can get better. And so I don't know, I, I am proud of that because I think it's really served me well um, in all in all areas. Mm. You mentioned books. What sort of things do you read? And I like to know what people are reading. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Um, goodness. So, I mean, right now I've been reading a lot of books on pregnancy and birth and stuff because I'm oh, no, trying to get I don't my head around that. One. Yeah, <laughs> trying to get my head around that. No. But, um, oh gosh, like, okay, so one book I love that's like an insider scoop on like a counselor who goes to counseling and then she gives you like, um windows into her counseling sessions is maybe, I think it's maybe we should talk. Um, and the author's first name is Lori. It's like, oh, it's yes, a blue yes. book with like a huge orange Kleenex box. You can't miss it. Oh, um, yes. Yes. It you know, it is so compelling. Maybe I should talk to someone. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. I loved that because I, I actually went to school for psychology and was starting my graduate program in counseling. And so that was kind of the first direction I was going. And so I still have a fascination with kind of like that world as well. And it was just so, so interesting to see the difference between like how people present themselves and then what she would see in the counseling room and just, yeah, it was so, mm. so cool. If you're a, a mm. psychology nerd, you'll love the book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, did you read any books in relation to anorexia or anything like that? I did read a lot of memoirs. Um, some of them I, I don't actually recommend because they could be pretty triggering. Um, sometimes when people share too many of the details, if you're not farther, far enough along in your journey, Down their line. you get ideas for mm. how to like restrict yourself further. It's not good. So <laughs> if the people who are really careful about how they write um, and really more focused on like the healing and not all the dirty like details, um, those were helpful. But so I actually did read one of the most popular books is like Living with Ed. Um, oh, I don't know why I can't think okay. of the author. Jen or Jenny or something like that. She's written a couple books and those are pretty helpful. It like personifies Ed as an abusive boyfriend so that you can like detach from it and realize like Ed being eating disorder is not you. It's like this abusive boyfriend you have to break up with kind of thing. And so that was a helpful book. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, Sounds I think those books are pretty helpful. <laughs> I mean, they're pretty old, yeah. but kind of like staples in the community, disorder healing community. And uh, what does well-being mean to you? 
feeling at peace in your own skin. Like you don't want to, you don't have anything to hide from, like you don't have to hide from yourself or run from yourself. Like just feeling just like safe in your own body. Like that to me is like what it means to feel well. Mm. And yeah, because for so long I didn't feel that. I I felt very unsafe Mm. in my own skin. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And uh, where can people find you? I know I can find you. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, So I hang out on Instagram. Worth Wellness by Erica is my handle. I also have a website, uh, www.worthwellness.org. And my last name is spelled W-I-R-T-H. And those are the main main stays where I hang out. Oh, and my podcast is the Worth Wellness Podcast. You can find that anywhere podcasts are, Apple, iTunes, Spotify. and those are the primary places. I'm pretty regular on Instagram. Um, I have an email list, mm. um, a free body and food relationship rescue guide on my website. And so if you sign up for that, you'll mm. get on my email list. And then I send out emails several times a week with all kinds of goodies and information and resources regarding everything we've chatted about today. Mm, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> Great. I think that's all my questions. Oh, wow. You that's asked really yeah. good questions, James. I really enjoyed this. So fun. <laughs> if you have enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it. If you could leave a quick review on my Facebook page, Don't Be Afraid to Talk, or DM me on Instagram. The show notes will include all the relevant links from today's episode. If you haven't already, please download, leave a rating, and share with your friends. You might just reach the person who needs to hear this message. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. I am James Lumumba, signing off with gratitude.